Hey, you're listening to the GGC Life Podcast, weekly messages from our Sunday services. We hope this message encourages you. Be blessed. Uh, last night, I had a good night's sleep, but I was woken at about two in the morning with um, some sirens. I've been uh, put up at Kuji Beach, which is a really lovely place. We don't have anything quite like that in KZN, but close. And uh, I got up, my wife got up a couple of minutes later and said, God, looks like there are policemen on the water. So I got up to have a look. She was just seeing the reflection of all the police cars the other side of the water. And I got back into bed and couldn't go back to sleep again. Because earlier that evening, we had wandered around the restaurants and I'd seen a lot of uh, people uh, partying well, drinking well. And we'd so- seen some cop cars sort of cruising around. When you come from Africa, you are finely attuned to cop cars, you know, where they, they come and go. And Sue said, look at these cops that are patrolling. I said, I don't think they're needed now. They're going to be needed a little bit later tonight. And so I lay in bed there and I, I began to think of what it caused all those sirens to be right outside that particular nightclub. My mind then went to the TV that I'd watched a little earlier in the evening where I, I saw some really angry lobbyists, saw some politicians really going for each other at another part of the news. As I lay there, I remembered a little incident that happened just before I boarded the plane. Boarding the plane from Auckland, and uh, as I stood in the queue, a guy with a business class ticket went to the air hostess and said, here's my business class ticket, can I jump the queue? And she sort of stood to attention, ushered him to the front of the queue, and a couple of big Aussies stood in front of that queue and said, what do you think you're doing? (laughs) He waved his little business class pass, and this big guy just put his elbow there and said, stand behind me. And... So the guy just dutifully stood behind him, and and the air hostess didn't say anything either. She just like stood behind him, and the economy class guy walked onto the bus first. While I was lying in bed, I was thinking about the simmering anger that surfaces when the drink reaches a certain level, when the politics tips a certain direction, when a Wealthy guy provokes a businessman in the wrong direction. And I realize it's not just the continent that I come from that harbors issues of anger and maybe some unforgiveness, some issues deep in the heart. And, uh, you know, th- those issues give rise to a society which is not only Uh, Riddled with things like anger and unforgiveness, but also anxiety. And uh, I really just asked my wife to pray for me this morning and, and felt God, by the time I drifted off to sleep, give me two words that I'm going to speak about today. This evening, I'm going to deal with the issue of unforgiveness, people that have hurt you, people that have um, uh, betrayed you people that have persecuted you, 
And not only you, but those who are living next to you, those that you're working with, those that you're in an environment with, God hasn't called His church to slip into, be baptized into that anger and unforgiveness, and to live like the rest of the world. He's called us to live a different way. I'm going to speak about that tonight. But, but this morning, I would like to speak about one of the fruits of a society in which we live, and that of anxiety, anxiousness. And uh, I'm quite a busy guy, get around a bit, but I'm also a student of people. I love to watch people. And uh, anxiety is very much part of the day in which we live. It, it's nothing new. It's been around since Adam, but, but it certainly is a disease of our age. Uh, you, you might uh, say, Grant, you know, what, what's this got to do with me? So, some of you might be living a life of absolute peace, and that's what God has called us to. He's called us to live in peace. The prince of peace is the one who saved us. And, and you might be saying, well, well, yeah, I know I'm saved. I know where I'm going in terms of eternity, but I live with this sense of, of angst that, that that isn't the portion that, that God has called for us. I mean, and Jesus went at great lengths to describe and to demonstrate and to show that we ought to live in peace. He, he's the one, when the storms of life come against you, he, he's with you in that storm. The, the picture that he demonstrated to his disciples was one day he was a, asleep in a, a stormy sea. Remember that? And the disciples were, were terrified. They'd gone way beyond anxiety, way beyond fear. They were at the point of sheer panic. And there he was fast asleep. There was another instance just like that when they were terrified in a massive storm. And he comes walking across the very thing that's terrifying them. Jesus, the Prince of Peace has called us to live a life like this. And not only to live that way, but to direct people toward peace. So, so tomorrow when you go to work and people around you are living in this state of angst, He has called us to be immersed in His peace and able to direct people to peace. We, we hold out, often we talk about light and often we talk about life, but we also to hold out peace. New Year's Eve, Sue and I were on holiday, and I, I got a text from someone who I have known superficially for the last 15 years. My, my son is a cricket player, and in our country, uh, cricket is played at school, not, not necessarily in clubs. And so when he was nine years old, he started playing cricket matches, and there's this big school league that goes on in our city with dozens of schools that play. But this one particular school my son went to was a big cricketing school, and their arch rival, they play twice a year. So when he was 9, when he was 10, when he was 11, when he was 12, when he was 13, he would play against this school twice a year. Now, if you're standing at a cricket field all day, you get to know the other dads, even the dads of the opposition. And then in, he was 13, he played in the representative side, and he was in the same side. So I really got to know this dad on speaking terms, if we saw each other in a shop, we would talk. 14, 15, 16, 
we're still playing against this kid. The, the fellow in question uh, drives a 4x4 Porsche. And by his admission would say he didn't know much about God. But on New Year's Eve, he sent me a text. And that text said, Grant, please pray for me. I'm in trouble. And so I sent him these emoji hands, you know, those little. I was on holiday, you know what I'm saying? I, I sent him the emoji hands, and I wrote these words, I will pray for God's peace. And around about half an hour later, I get a voice note from this guy. He says, Grant, I need to see you, like urgently, because I think God has pitched up. I remember this is a non-churched man. So like we're on a holiday, I'm thinking, oh yeah, it's New Year's Eve, he's probably been drinking a lot. I, I wonder what's going on. I was looking for another emoji, and then and then I <laughs> and then I said to him, listen, but I'm on holiday, but when I get back, we can meet. So we got back early in the new year. There he's sitting in my office with his new girlfriend, and he still looks like he's seen a ghost. So I said to him, What happened? He said, well, you know that day that I asked you and you, you said you were going to pray for peace? Well, I was sitting on my veranda and like this white cloud enveloped me. I said, you mean like mist? We have mist in our country. He said, no, not mist. This guy's older than me. He knows what mist is. No, not mist. It wasn't mist. It wasn't a misty night. It was like this white. He said, I totally freaked out. And then I was surrounded by peace. And I remembered what you were going to pray about. I said to him, but do you know what God is called? He says, what do you mean what God is called? I said, one of the names of God is that he is Prince of Peace. And what God was doing is he was revealing himself to you. He said, for real? I said, that's what he was doing. He was revealing himself to you. And right then and there, that guy gave his heart to the Lord. 50, 56 years old. He turns to his girlfriend and he says, totally unprovoked by me, he says, you realize you're going to have to move out now. <laughs> Obviously, somewhere in his background growing up, he felt what he was doing wasn't right. What happened? God demonstrated that himself to that man as peace. Peace personified. What is anxiety? So it's not simply a feeling. It's not just something in your head. Doctors will tell you it has to do with neurons and chemicals and pituitary glands and adrenal glands. In fact, straight out of a medical dictionary, it says this. It's a built-in physiological response to a threat. When you're stressed, your body responds, your blood vessels constrict, your blood pressure and pulse rise, you breathe faster, your bloodstream is flooded with hormones such as cortisol and adre adrenaline. And when you're chronically stressed and you live in a constant state of anxiety, it can be harmful to your health. And so following on in this medical journal, these are some of the symptoms that stress and anxiety present as. Cardiovascular disease, obesity, diabetes, skin disorder, 
I can remember when we first took over the leading of the church 19 years ago, about a, a year into leading, Sue woke up one morning and her eyes were closed. Her eyes were fully swollen. Looked like I had hit her with a right and a left. Fortunately, they didn't go blue, so they just were totally swollen. She, she hid indoors. And it took ages for us to realize that it was her body's response to stress. All the ugly little people in the church that were causing her stress. Ulcers. Alkaline tobacco abuse. Mental disorders. Insomnia. Medical uh, abuse. Backaches. Sexual problems. Mental fatigue. Muscle tension. Irritability. Apathy. Gee, this is, this is describing most of us in this room. Uh, forgetfulness. <laughs> social withdrawal. Dizziness. Tight chest. But listen. I don't think it, we have to talk too much about the fact of stress, the fact of anxiety. We live in a world like this. The Bible makes it very clear that it's not good for us to live that way. Luke 12, 25 says, And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his life? My wife likes to say this. Worrying is, is useless, man. It's like sitting in a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but you go nowhere. Proverbs 12 says, anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but good works make him glad. Anxiety, stress, is like a rucksack full of rocks that you lug around with you. The Bible suggests that it comes from many, many places. One of the places you'd never believe that the Bible says stress comes from is marriage. 1 Corinthians 7.32 says this. I want you to be free from anxieties. And then verse 33 says, But the married man is anxious about many things. <laughs> so he's talking to the young guys and says, I don't want you to be stressed out like the married man. Why wow, the married man, he's got to be, he's worried about all sorts of things. Pleasing his wife or the underpants in the tucked away. Is there food on the table? The light bill paid. What's she thinking? Why is she crying? Is she at a happy cry? Is it a bad cry? What, what's going on? Material things cause us angst. Matthew 6.25 says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you'll eat, what you'll drink, about your body, what you'll put on. What's that saying? Matthew is saying, then that it's easy to get anxious about material things. My job, am I going to have it tomorrow? My mortgage, my electricity bill, the credit debt, what I can't provide. What, what, what are we get, where are we going to go? What, what about my future? What about my retirement? The Bible also speaks about persecution being a cause for stress. When they deliver you over, Matthew 10 says, do not be anxious about how to speak or what you to say. When people come up against you because of your faith, when people just come up against you, relational disquiet causes anxiety. In fact, it's, it's one of the, the worst forms of stress. Do you remember in the Song of Songs when 
there's a, you know, Song of Songs is a bunch of love letters that are written between King Solomon and his, his bride. And there's a, uh, a very sad uh, sneak preview into the future of Solomon in one of those letters. Because you know Solomon, he moved on from that single girl to like 700 women. <laughs> so there was definitely something wrong in the foundation. And we see it. We see it in the Song of Songs. She says this. She was asleep at night, but her heart was still awake. Have you been like that? You're trying to sleep, but your heart's still awake. So you're, like, you're waking up and you're sleeping. You're waking up and you're sleeping. And her, her lover wasn't in the bed with her. She hears the knock at the door. And then she's awake asleep, awake asleep. And she thinks, should I get up? Should I put my shoes on? You know the story in Song of Songs. Should I put my... I'm not going to do that. Eventually decides, okay, I'm going to go to the door. When she gets to the door, he's gone. Relational stress keeps you up at night. Divorce. 1 Corinthians 7 says, to the unbeliever who has a spouse leaving, Paul writes into that situation. So in other words, there's a believing person who has an unbelieving spouse leaving. He speaks into the anxiety around that, and this is what he says. He basically says, he says, but when the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. Some verses say not bound. For God has called you to peace. Now that's a controversial text in some Christian circles. God's saying, when you've got saved, and now you're lying in bed with an unsaved dude who doesn't believe what you believe, stay with him. Hopefully he's going to get saved. Hopefully he's going to love Jesus. But if he comes to the point where he says, pick me or Jesus, and if you're not going to pick me, I'm leaving, Paul writes in and he says, I understand that anxiety. Peace to you. Just keep following me. Let him, let him go. Divorce brings it. And then in fact, Paul, when he's writing to the Philippians, says, anything can bring it. Verse 6 of chapter 4. Do not be anxious about anything. These days, if you read about anxiety and stress, I went onto the internet very early this morning. There's a thing called techno-stress. I think five-year-olds could be stressed from technology. Your shoulders are up like this. And all the young guys are sniggering saying, nah, there's no such thing. No, you develop compulsive behavior. There's anxiety if you can't get hold of your phone. If your kid is like bathing you, and you keep the phone away, and he's like, there's techno stress. Yesterday, we were going somewhere past your race course, and I, I saw this horse. I've been learning about your horse called Winx. So Winx won her last race. But I saw the final on TV. The, the elation of the group that won. But just what they didn't show us is the heartache of everybody who didn't bet on wings. Stress can come from, from anywhere. And this is the thing, you see. So we live in this state of stress. And so people think that they have a way of living with it and of coming to true peace. 
But Jesus made it very clear that people outside of him have no idea where to get true peace. This is what he said when he looked at Jerusalem. Luke 19.4, as he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and he wept over it. I wonder why he was weeping. He looks at a city of people. You think he was weeping because he was going to get murdered there? You think he was weeping because the people there weren't accepting him? No, he was weeping for a particular reason. He wept over the city of Jerusalem and he said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace. But it is now hidden from your eyes. The thing that brings true peace to those that don't know him is hidden from their eyes. And so people search for peace everywhere. They think money will buy it. They think medicine will buy it. Now listen, money can take away a bit of short-term anxiety, and medicine does help. In fact, there'll be in a room this size a number of you, I would expect a few dozen of you, that would be on medication to bring you to a place of peace. I'll tell you why I know that. Because in America, one in ten people in America are on antidepressants. In the age category, this is from the Harvard Medical Journal, 23% of women in the States between the age of 40 and 50 are on antidepressants. That, that's one in four. It's one in four ladies in America between the age of 40 and 50 are on antidepressants. So they must work, work to some degree. Otherwise, it's the best hoodwinking advertising gimmick ever in history, which, which it isn't. It does bring some sense of peace. But it's not the peace Jesus was talking about. So the world has wrestled with peace. It's, a, it's an amazing thing to me every time I see the Nobel Peace Prize being rolled out. Do you know where the Nobel Peace Prize came from? Alfred Nobel. Do you know what he was famous for? Inventing dynamite. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. Alfred Nobel invented dynamite and other things in the armistice industry. And in 1901, he bequeathed a whole bunch of money and said, set up a peace prize. And so what they do, uh, I think it's in Norway, they, they, they put together a committee, I think it's the parliament, to make a decision on who's going to get the Nobel Peace Prize. You know that there have been 19 years since 1901 where they couldn't find anyone on planet Earth to give it to. The world has battled with this issue. And yet, you and me have got eternal peace at our fingertips. Eternal peace within us. And we carriers of that peace. And pointers to that peace. In fact, at the resurrection of Jesus, these two things that I'm dealing with today, forgiveness tonight and peace, were two of the very first things that he dealt with. This is what happened when Jesus rose. John 20, he first reveals himself to Mary. Remember Mary Magdalene pitches up. And uh, she's startled. She thinks she's looking at a gardener. It turns out to be Jesus. She's absolutely amazed. The very next thing, this is what Jesus does. On the evening 
of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. Imagine the anxiety levels among the disciples. Jesus came and he stood among them and said, Peace be to you. After he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And then he breathed on them. (sighs) (sighs) Breathed on them. And he said, Receive my spirit. Whoever you forgive is forgiven. And whoever you don't forgive is not forgiven. Peace be to you. Again he says, peace be to you. Then he breathes on them. And he says, now go forgive people. Isn't that amazing? That's what Jesus said as he rose from the dead after revealing himself to his disciples said, look at my hands, look at my side. Peace be to you. God's answer to a stressed out world is himself. He breathes himself into you. He says, I was coming back from Brazil on a ministry trip and uh, I climbed onto the plane. Anyone ministered in Brazil before? Anyone been to Brazil before? Sure, lots of you. I suppose you speak Portuguese. <laughs> and uh, so, um, but anyway, I find it very difficult to minister in the areas that I minister in, in Brazil because I don't speak a word of Portuguese. And so, invariably, I, it's like sign language for me for like most of the time that I'm not in the pulpit. So I was exhausted. I got onto the plane. I had this deal with the Lord. I said, Lord, please, this transatlantic trip, can I please have three seats? Nobody next to me. Just a a gift from heaven. I just want to like lie down and and sleep. Anyway, I got onto the plane and I look at my number and I'm looking at all the places because of course I'm a man of faith. I'm expecting three seats and I'm looking at all the three places. I look at my seats and I can't believe it. There was a enormous lady sitting in the seat next to mine. And I look at it and I think, no man, this must be wrong. I go back again and I check all the seats. So I'm thinking, now I'm going to have to sit like a banana the whole trip because it's like a problem for me. So I'm looking at her and I'm, I'm thinking, well, I'm going to have some very tight fellowship for the next 10 hours. I better introduce myself. So I say to her, hello ma'am. She says, why, you speak English? At last, somebody who speaks English. So I said, yeah, well, I do speak English. She says, uh, I said, what do you do? She says, I've been at some medical council. So I said, oh, great. She says, what do you do? I said, actually, I've been preaching about Jesus. She says, never. I said, yes. She said, I've been praying. I've been praying for a believer to sit next to me. I said, I said, I said, I can't believe it. I nearly said to her, funny enough, I've been praying for an empty seat. (laughs) Clearly her prayers reached heaven a lot easier than mine. Anyway, so she 
I said, why were you wanting a Christian to sit next to you? She says, because I'm absolutely terrified. Look, I'm sweating. I'm, sh I'm shaking. I'm, I I'm scared of airplanes. So she saw, I said, you don't need to be scared. She said, these things come down. She started giving me all the stats of airplanes falling out of the sky. I had to say, stop, stop, stop. <laughs> we don't want, you know, faith to go in the wrong direction. So I began to explain to her the nature of peace. We'll get there in a moment. And so I said, so you receive peace. So would you like me to pray for you? She says, please, that's, that's what I've, I've been praying. Someone to come and do this. So as we were taking off, my hand was on her head. Like this. And uh, the air hostesses were looking like, what's going on? And I kid you not, before the air seat lights were off, this woman was fast asleep. She was fast asleep. I think I probably stepped on her shoulder <laughs> the rest of the way back to Africa. We carry peace. We can impart peace. We can, like Jesus, speak peace. And we can pray for peace. we're going to do here. Let me just give a bit of a background of peace before, I, because there's something I, I really feel God wants to do here this morning. But um, let me give you a little bit of a biblical background of the nature of peace very quickly. Is that uh, peace is, is the name of God. We've heard that Jesus is the Prince of Peace, but in Hebrews chapter 7, he's called the King of Peace. It's... Um, in 1 Corinthians 14, 33, it says, For God is not a God of confusion, but a God of peace. It's His nature. Peace comes from God. John 14, 27 says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. It's part of who He is. It's His name. It's His nature. It's what He imparts. His government and His peace go together. You wonder, how does government and peace go together? If you look at our governments of the world, there's a lot of strife when governments uh, make certain decisions. But the prophet Isaiah said, of the increase of his government and his peace, there is no end. You see, when proper government happens, peace comes. You know that. When the kids are fighting in the playground, you bring in some godly government, and peace comes. When God intervenes in a situation and it's all out of order, sometimes we don't like God's means to peace, but He brings in government and peace follows. So government and peace go hand in hand with God. But the Bible says it's good for us to look for peace, strive for, for peace. In the Old Testament, there was a thing called a peace offering. And so it was, the Old Testament is getting the people ready for what's coming. And so the whole way through the Old Testament, the Old Testament believers were encouraged, get yourself ready. You can, you can come before God and you, you can anticipate peace with you and God and peace with others. Bring this peace offering. And when they're bringing this peace offering, they were living in this hope that peace would be restored between man and God, peace within, peace with each other. And in the New Testament, Hebrews 12.12 12 says, Strive for peace with everyone. 
for the holiness. And then 1, 1 Peter chapter 3 says, Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Romans 14, 19 says, So then let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. Romans 12, 18 says, If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Not only are we asked to strive for peace, we commanded to live in peace. And so 1 Thessalonians 5.13 says, Be at peace among yourselves. It's, there's no, there's no live, live with angst, live with issues, live with, be at peace. And there is a blessing given to those who are peacemakers. Jesus said this, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. So don't you want a blessing from God? God says, blessed is the peacemaker. Now we've, we've often thought, what does that mean? That means somebody who, who stops fights. Now blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who receive peace from on high, live in that peace, discharge that peace, and allow others to live in that peace with you. That's what he's saying. And he says, when we hold out peace like that, there is a blessing from heaven on you. And so here's the question, how? Because some of you might be saying, well, well I'm a Christian, and I, I, I know that I'm secure in terms of my eternity, but I still, I still have to go to a doctor and get medication. And I'm really not suggesting you get off that medication. Or I still have to go to a doctor, and I, I receive counseling, and that therapy helps me. The Bible talks about a peace through understanding. And it, it doesn't mean that that peace through understanding is wrong, but his peace is described as a peace beyond understanding. There's nothing wrong with peace through medicine, but he's giving us a peace beyond medicine. There's nothing wrong with a peace through arbitration and good governance, but he's speaking about a peace beyond arbitration. That's what he's speaking about. And so the question is, well, how do I access that peace? Because I've got Jesus, but, but it's almost like I'm living my life and, and there's a stronghold of anxiety in me. And you know what a stronghold is? A, a, a stronghold, this is the picture in the, in, in prehistoric times, villages had walls around them. And those walls were protection. And in the middle of the village, there was a, either a tower or a dungeon, which was the last bastion, was a stronghold where you hid when the enemy broke through the wall. So if the enemy came in over the wall, you'd run up into your tower. You'd climb up on your tower with burning oil or burning water or rocks or something. And your last defense was the stronghold. And so Paul is borrowing this analogy. And he's, he's saying that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they mighty to the tearing down of strongholds. So what, what is he talking about? Well, he's saying, well, it's possible for a Christian to have a stronghold. And he's, he's using this metaphor. When Jesus has broken into your life, he's coming over the wall, he's got into your village, it's possible that you 
that you hide away in a particular part of your life because this is how he describes those strongholds who are mighty and to the demolishing of every thought and pretension that sets itself up against God. And so strongholds are thought patterns, they're ways of thinking that set themselves up against God. So it's possible for you to be a Christian, to have Jesus flood into your life, but there's a, a stronghold, there is a fortified way of thinking that you haven't let Jesus into in your sexuality, for example. Or in, in fear. And so how, how does God get in to that stronghold of anxiety? How, how, if he's given us weapons that are not the weapons that we would expect, which are mighty to tearing down this thing, how does that happen? How does the peace of God penetrate into that thing when you're a Christian? Because it's possible to be a Christian and still be anxious. It's possible to be a Christian in every aspect of your life to reflect Jesus, but, but not in your money, for example. How does he come in? When I was... Newly married, uh, 26 or so years ago, uh, I'd married a beautiful lady. I had a few degrees behind my name. I owned property. I was building other property. My life was cruising. I uh, was climbing up in management. I was an elder in a church. I had hair on my head. <laughs> I was living the dream. I was living the dream. And all of a sudden, around about a couple of months into my marriage, it's like I, it's like I hit a brick wall and suddenly became extremely anxious. I never had an issue with depression or anxiety in my life before, ever. I'd grown up since 10 years old, been saved. But I was like a self-made man. And there were issues that I had kept out of God's domain without me knowing it. And, and somehow, in the building of my house and in my studying and in the busyness of something had given way and I was breaking. And I couldn't fix it. I came home at night and I told Sue some of the things I was thinking about. She thought, what have I done? Have I married a freak? She must have panicked. She must have thought, this is all a con. The outside looked great, but he is a wreck. I didn't share it with anyone else other than her and the guy who was leading our church at the time. And he didn't understand. I explained to him what I was, how I was feeling, and he just said, God, I can't relate. I think the best thing we should do with you is double your preaching load. He said, I want you to think about those things. Just rather think about your preaching. We're going to double your preaching. But my mind was so exhausted at trying to bludgeon itself back into a state of peace. I, thought, I was too scared to drive my car by myself. I had a business that I had to drive. I would take people with me all the time. I, didn't, I wouldn't want to be left alone with myself. I just couldn't control my thinking. My, my whole life, I'd been able to sort myself out. 
Are we landing? But you don't need to play until about five minutes, okay? You can just stand there. <laughs> Where was I? Yeah. And so, um, I was desperate. I prayed. Didn't work. I read scripture. Didn't work. I, I, I wrote scripture in wet concrete. I worked myself late at night so I wouldn't have to spend too much time doing other things. Didn't work. Nothing worked. And then one day, I mean, I used to pray prayers like this. God, take me home. I wouldn't have committed suicide because of my theological conviction, but I didn't want to live anymore. I couldn't see beyond one year anniversary. I, my, my life was falling apart. And I didn't know where to turn. And month after month after month, I was living like this. Now, some of you might say, well, I've been living like that for years. And I, I believe that God allowed me to go through it because he knew where I was headed. I was headed into ministering to people. And then one day I read this scripture. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone, for the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. And I remember reading that thinking, but how? How? But in everything with prayer and supplication and with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. But like God was coming to me saying, come and say thank you for your wife, for your kids that are still to come for your church, for your finance. Say thank you. Make your requests known to God. And the peace of God, which passes understanding, will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. And as I read it, I realized what that scripture was saying. That peace is a gift from heaven. Come, with, come saying thank you. And this is what it says. And he will give you peace that passes understanding. It's not that understanding peace is wrong. It passes understanding to God. And I saw like a blanket coming down over my head. To guard your mind and your heart in Christ Jesus. And I realized at that moment that just like you can't earn your salvation, you can't earn your peace. You come to the Prince of Peace and you say, Lord Jesus, I can't do this. I know that you're the giver of salvation, the giver of peace. I ask you for this peace. I ran inside. And uh, you can play now if you want to. Sorry, I've just seen I've overshot my mark. I ran inside to, to Sue and I skidded onto my knees at the kitchen floor. And I said to her, this is what I've seen. That peace is a gift, and God can give it to me. Put your hands on my head. She put her hand on my soft, blonde head. And it didn't happen all at once. 
But over a period of days, it's like the mist lifted. That was 26 years ago. The gift of peace. I wonder if you could stand, please. The gift of peace is from the Prince of Peace. What I had to do to see this stronghold crumble was confess my sin, confess my self-reliance, and declare my need of God and invite Him in. That's how strongholds are broken, with repentance, confession, and faith. If you're anxious here this morning, just while every eye is closed, just raise your hands toward heaven. I feel God wants to bring a peace over you. Begin to say thank you. Just thank God. Those of you who've got your hands raised, just thank God for the things that you know that He has given you. That's what He says. Come to Him with prayer and thanksgiving. Say thank you. Thank Him. And then the peace of God. God, I pray for your peace now. The peace of God that passes all understanding. Will God, that word is like the word of a military sentry, will guard your mind in Christ Jesus. He will police it. He will keep the thoughts away. He's the giver of peace. Peace to you. Shalom to you. The peace of God to you. While people are receiving from God, I know that I've just slightly overshot my mark, but Leo did say this at the beginning. If you've come in here today and you are not at peace with God, he said you would have an opportunity today to hand your life over to him. And when you do that, when you surrender your whole life, you might be saying, well, God hasn't even come in over the first wall yet. I haven't surrendered my life to him. You need to surrender. As you surrender, what he does, he comes in like a flood and he makes you spiritually alive. The Bible says you, he uses the metaphor, you become like a new creation. If you need to do that this morning, pray this prayer with me. Heavenly Father, I surrender. I turn myself over to you. I give my life into your hands. I ask you to come upon me. Make me alive. Breathe your spirit upon me. Created me and you, man. You've been listening to the GGC Life Podcast. We hope this message has encouraged you. For more, please visit our website, ggclife.com, or email us, gglife at ggclife.com. From our house to yours, be blessed.